like, I will hypnotize you to fix whatever you want fixed, but also I'm going to hypnotize you to kill this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like, that's the payment. Instead of giving her money, yeah. you murder someone for her, and then she fixes it's, your... It's a free hypnosis. Yeah, <laughs> she fixes And welcome back to the Bug and Rug Podcast. As always, my name is Caitlin, and today I have two guests with me. Jack. <laughs> and I'm Allie. And today we're going to bring you another story that may or may not keep you up at night. Hopefully by the end of it, we will all still be able to sleep as snug as a bug in a rug. But only time will tell. And right up front... I'm just going to say Whitney's not here because she's got to take a test. So that's why I have my two very, very, very special. Well, one very special guest and the other one's (laughs) a normal guest, I suppose, um, on the podcast. Second point of order. I already said this and I said I'd say it again. But thank you, Allie, for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Third point of order. I have no other intro because I was going to do a ghost story and I was going to ask if you guys believed in ghosts. But this is not a ghost story, so I really have no intro because it's about murder, and I can't ask if you believe in murder, because that's not something that you can ask if you believe in. So, um, do you believe in hypnosis? Only if the person wants to be hypnotized. Interesting. Okay, so you think it's like a mind, they have yeah. to be willing to relax enough to do it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> The one time in school, the one person that was hypnotized was Darius, and he said he believed it. He was hypnotized? At some thing, yeah, at some point. You weren't there? Shout out Darius. This was before college? No. No, he got hypnotized in college? Yeah. Where was I? It was after. Oh. You're old. Yeah, I am. (laughs) Not that old, but... Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, this story does have... a little bit to do with hypnosis, but it's kind of towards the end, so I guess it's good that you guys believe in it. All right, so I'll just get started. Ready? Ready? Yeah. Everybody ready? Okay. So, a little background about the place that we're going to be talking about. It's Lyon, L-Y-O-N. It's in France. Lyon. Lyon. Sure, there we go. This is why I had you here. I might be semi-useful because I did take French before you. Well, okay. Can I speak the language? No. Can I read the words? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay, perfect. Well, Lyon is currently, currently now, the third largest city and second largest metropolitan area in France. Um, A 2019 census calculated over 2 million people living within the metropolitan area. So this town is approximately 243 miles or 391 kilometers southeast of Paris, which does come into the story later. It sits on the confluence of the rivers Rhone and Saone, S-A-O-N-E, sure. This is actually a pretty large city because the rayon and silk trade became a really big export during the Renaissance period, which, like, made it really popular. And then, like, stuff just came out from that. So it's actually known now for, like, its architecture, 
and they had an industrial uprising in the late 19th century, and so it's known for, like, that kind of stuff as well now. I've never been, so I don't know for sure. That's just what Google said. Well, French are known for uprises. So. Yeah, there we go. So... While railways became operating and industrial towns were popping up in the late 19th century, residents of a small suburb found their attention pulled towards much darker matters. I'm trying to give out the creepy mm-hmm. vibes here. On August 13th, 1889, a foul odor began emanating from a secondary road in Vernason Millery, which was like, they're like two smaller cities. In the city of Leon, that oh, make up like, like the metropolitan like area or something like that. Something. Sure, sure. It doesn't matter. It's in this place of Leon or near it. So the smell was so strong that individuals living near the area eventually contacted a road mender named Dennis Coffee to try and find the source. I think he was out there working to begin with, and they were like, "Go yeah. find the smell." Coffee agreed to investigate and walked down the road until he came to a large oil skin cloth bag hidden underneath a bush. When he opened the bag, he was shocked to find human remains. The authorities were immediately contacted and they took the bag and its contents to forensic surgeon Paul Bernard. Bernard would undertake an autopsy the following day. He finished His finished report stated that the unidentified man was bound with several meters of rope while the head was enveloped in a black oilskin cloth. The victim had presumably died by strangulation three to five weeks prior to the discovery, but other than that, they didn't really have anything else to go on. They didn't know who he was. There was no clothes. So there's no identification. Three to five weeks later, it's not much of a face. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So on August 16th, a trunk was reported to authorities in St. Guinness Laval, a commune of Lyon. So another area in the city. It was reported after passerbys claimed it smelled terribly. So upon investigation, it was noticed that the trunk was missing nails These same nails had actually been found near the unidentified body that was just discovered two days prior. So authorities began to suspect that the said body had been in the trunk at one point because the smell was the same as the body and then the nails were the same. So then they had to figure out where it came from, obviously. Now they got a dead body in a trunk on a road, which is not good ever. So, luckily, a tag that had been glued to one of the boards imparted that the trunk traveled from Paris to Lyon by rail on July 27th. This particular trunk weighed in around 105 kilograms, or 231 pounds, at the station, a weight that they were kind of assuming equaled a grown man and the weight of the trunk. So authorities concluded that the man had been placed in the trunk before July 27th and shipped hundreds of miles across France on the, um, I named the railway, but it's just a specific railway company. It's all in French. I'm not going to try to pronounce it now. Um, And then somehow made its way down a back road because it wasn't like the road wasn't right next to the station. So it didn't like fall out of the train or anything like that. So now they have to figure out like what happened, obviously. So they decided to ask for missing report 
missing persons reports that were made near Paris in the days prior to the train journey, um, because they're assuming, again, that's where the trunk with the person came from. They eventually found one that was made on July 29th. It was made for 49-year-old bailiff to St. Augustine uh, Gauffe, G-O-U-F-F-E, um, of Montmartre, Paris. Mm. Gauf? For some reason, the French don't like to pronounce the last letter of their words. Oh, okay. Gauf. That makes my life a little easier. <laughs> so, Gauf's brother-in-law was actually the one who filed the report, and he was contacted and was brought to the body, because this was the only one that kind of made sense with what they were looking for. Um, he actually initially said that the John Doe was not goofed because the hair and the age did not seem to match. The hair was the wrong color. And then he said, everybody kind of thought that the body was in the their thirties, I guess, um, age range and goof was 49. So he was like, I don't, this, I don't think this is right. So the unidentified man was then just buried in a pauper's grave because they just didn't. That was the only lead they had, and when he said it wasn't him, they just didn't know what to do from there. Not like they could run DNA. Right, exactly, exactly. At the time, yeah. So the prosecutor of Leon decided to give all of this evidence to the ministre public in Paris, which entrusted the inquiry to Commissioner Marie-Francois Goron of the National Police. So they just, instead of Leon being in charge of it, they just sent it up to Paris because that's where the body came from, so whatever. So Goron wanted to take another look at the unidentified body, so he asked authorities in Leon to exhume, exhume the remains. They were at first hev- hesitant, however, Goron assured them that his connections with one Dr. Alexander Lacossinge would make a difference in the case. I kept thinking that Lacossinge was lasagna for some reason when I was writing this, <laughs> so it threw me right there, but it's fine. So Dr. Alexander Lacossinge was a renowned criminologist and leader in the emerging field of forensics, and with his agreement to help, the remains were exhumed. So they didn't really have DNA stuff, but they were trying other things, and I'll talk about it here in like 30 seconds, but um, he was like one of the people that were like leading the charge with this. So on November 13th, 1889, Dr. Alexander Lacossinge asked Gulf's brother-in-law for more information of the man as well as hair from his personal comb. So Lacossinge thoroughly examined the body over the course of a week and he concluded that the hair sample extracted from the comb matched a hair sample taken from the victim. Now I think they just did this under like looking at it under a microscope, not like DNA stuff, obviously, but so that matched, and then this, along with a back injury matching the brother-in-law's description, inferred the identity of the John Doe was, in fact, Goff. So he had a, I don't really know what it was, but he had a specific injury that he had, like, when he was younger, and it made his back a certain way that he was like, well, only that sort of injury would match this. So he kind of put two and two together. So the techniques used during this autopsy was actually a major breakthrough in forensic science, um, it was one of the first times that they did like the hair matching stuff and he did a couple other tests to make sure, um, that it was him. And so it was kind of not a huge deal, but kind of a big deal. Like it was kind of a big deal. So as Goran looked through the background information of Goff, now that they knew who he was, he found that the man was a respectable widower raising two daughters. 
However, those in the same social circle hinted that Goph may have been somewhat of a womanizer. But, like, how do you prove that, you know? I don't know. So it came to light that just two days prior to his disappearance, he had been frequently seen in the company of swindlers, 46-year-old Michael Eurond, E-Y-R-A-U-D, Eurod, and his 21-year-old mistress, Gabrielle Bompard. And I don't know where they, I mean, later they come out as quote-unquote swindlers. I don't know how they were, what they were doing before this to know that they were swindlers, but yeah. They just look sketchy. Right, right. They're like, those two people are definitely swindlers. <laughs> so when Goran tried to track down the couple, it turned out that they suspiciously skipped town on July 27th, which was the same day that the trunk was shipped from Paris to Lyon and just two days prior to the missing persons report for Gulf being filed. So... They probably had the right people, unless it was just a huge coincidence. On November 29th, 1889, one of the first Interpol notices was broadcast against the pair. So they assumed, they couldn't find him in Paris, and then they couldn't find him in Lyon, so they kind of assumed that they skipped, skipped town. So they put out a whole thing, like, when you see these people, we will be arresting them. The couple was actually tracked to San Francisco, but were not apprehended at the time for, I don't know if they didn't hand them over or how that works, but they knew where they were. So they were kind of watching them. Huh? They got pretty far. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you have to think, too, they didn't find the body until... Please hold. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't find the body until... They had, like, a three-week head start, yeah, I guess, true. almost, you know what I mean? Because July 27th was when they left, and they didn't find the body until August 16th. So at least two weeks-ish. Yeah, I don't know how they got to San Francisco, but they swindled their way there. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they did. So Bompard finally re- returned to France without Urod in January of 1890 and was promptly imprisoned on the 22nd. I don't know why she returned. I think she did it out of her free will. And then when she got there, they're like, you're coming with us. She adamantly denied any involvement in the death of Gulf, but she cracked under pressure when it was revealed that a carpenter had identified the trunk that was in the investigation and claimed to have sold it to the pair Personally, like he was like, this is the trunk. I gave it to them. I know it. I made this trunk. I don't know if you made it. Um, Bompard, Bompard told authorities that she pretended to accidentally meet Gulf in a Parisian cafe on July 26th, 1889, because he, w- I think he was known to have a lot of money because he was a bailiff. Do bailiffs make a lot of money? Yeah. I don't know. What is a bailiff? <laughs> they do law. Yeah, so, in theory, it's the person that, like, controls the courtroom. Okay, so he probably does have a lot of money, right? It's the it's the big guy who Judge Judy always yells at to go get all his time. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay, well, between that and, like, the rumors that he was a womanizer, she was kind of like, oh, I'm gonna make eyes with him, and then we'll try to rob him, essentially, was the plan. She encouraged him to visit her flat because, you know, because 
he's a womanizer, I guess. That's what she assumed he'd do. And he did. He, When he relented and went with her, she flirtatiously invited him to sit down on a specific deck chair. And then after he got comfortable, Bompard actually wound a cord of a dressing gown around his neck. Yurad, who was hiding behind a curtain, then caught the rope or grabbed the rope and quickly garroted Gulf, strangled him, or choked him, whatever. Bompard, Bompard stated that Gulf fought against this, so Yurad panicked, sprang out from behind the curtain, and then he proceeded to strangle Gulf with his bare hands. In my notes, I say I'm assuming it was like a some sort of weird lap dance situation. <laughs> Because I don't know how she, how else she would have, yeah. like, put a rope around his neck and been like, no. yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure. And there are pictures of, weirdly, kind of this happening. Not the lap dance part, obviously. But in one of the pictures that you can see if you look this up, it's like they have the cord tied up to the ceiling, and so, like, when she put it around his neck, yeah, I know, it's it's getting into BDSM situation. Yurad, who was behind the curtain, like, instead of pulling it back, like, choking him, he pulls it down, and Gulf actually, like, went up in the air oh. with it around his neck. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. I, I don't know if that's how it actually happened, but that's how some of the pictures portray it happening. And then it doesn't work, and then, they ha- then it shows a picture of Yurad, like, they're not pictures. They're illustrations. <laughs> Excuse me. A uh, picture of him, like, strangling Gulf on the ground. And then it is basically has a picture of them, like, looking at each other while his dead body's on the ground. Because then they're like, oh, shit. Um, so, like I said, the pair initially wanted to rob Gulf. So I'm assuming they wanted to, like, scare him into giving all of his money up. But then when he fought back, that's why they panicked and, like, killed him. Well, now they were stuck with no money and a body, so not the best thing to have happen. They decided to go purchase a trunk to hide the body. The trunk was then sent to Leon via the railway, where it was met by Bompard and Urod with a rented automobile. The couple placed the trunk in the car and then drove, literally drove until the smell of the dead body became too overwhelming, and that's why they decided to just take the trunk and dump it on the side of the road. There was literally no other reason for it. And then they just decided to flee the country. So Bompard, after telling this to authorities, got a lawyer. His name was Mr. Henry Robert. Mr. Henry Robert claimed that Bompard had been subjected by Urod by means of hypnosis during this period of time. She strongly stated that she was an involuntary accomplice during the entire ordeal and that she had not expected Urod to actually murder Golf. She just thought that they were going to rob him, but that she actually didn't know what she was doing because she was under hypnosis. So this defense may seem a little bit silly to us, but hypnosis was actually very popular at the time. So not only was forensic science becoming a huge thing, hypnosis was actually becoming a huge thing. In the early 1800s, people thought it was like hogwash, you know, whatever. But in, as the 1800s, like a couple years in, individuals in the medical field began endorsing hypnotism for the treatment of hysteria. I don't know how real that was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because some of the techniques used with people with hysteria aren't great. But it was also used 
claimed to have been used as a surgical anesthetic. And there was one specific guy that claimed he did like 800 surgeries with just hypnosis. I know. Yeah, I don't know how successful or how true that is, but this along with other experimental examinations of hypnosis in specifically France and Germany and Switzerland over like the early to mid 1800s, it became like super popular, not just as like a weird fortune teller type situation, you know, it was actually like, oh, this is like a medical thing. So some say, I don't know. I don't know if I agree. I've never been hypnotized. It became so popular in the 19th century that the first International Congress for Experimental and Therapeutic Hypnotism was actually held in Paris, France in August of 1889 when this whole thing happened. So you can kind of see where she got her defense from. <laughs> she was like, I was hypnotized. That's what we're doing in Paris, apparently. When Urod was finally arrested in Havana, Cuba in June of 1890, so a while later, he was like all over the place. I'm not sure what he was doing, swindling his way across the world. He confessed that everything Bompard was kind of true, except for the fact that she was hypnotized. Urod actually told authorities that Bompard was the one who strangled Goff and that the hypnosis defense was like rubbish. So he said that, you know, they they wanted to rob him, so they she brought him back to the room. They tried to do the thing with the cord, the sexy lap dance thing. It didn't work. I don't know if that's what it was. It didn't work. And then she strangled him. Both criminals argued their sides of the story in December of 1890. And since since hypnosis was a huge thing, a lot of people believed her. So they took her side of the story as more true than your odds. And I think it was also, she was 21. He was like in his forties. So I think she played like the innocent. Maybe she was, maybe she was hypnotized. I don't know, but she played like the innocent. And I mean, at party. some point she broke with him and came back and he continued to do Just whatever to... swindling he was doing. Exactly. So in the end, Urod was sentenced to death and guillotined on February 3rd of 1891. Bumpard's defense seemingly worked. She was sentenced to 20 years of hard labor. She started her time at the female prison of Nanterre and then moved to, to Clermont Dungeon in Ois, which that sounds way worse than I think what it actually is, but I don't know. In 1905, she was liberated early for good behavior and worked as what Wikipedia said was a dancer, which lays into my lap dance theory, although I don't, I think she was like in the theater, I'm not sure, um, until her death in the early 1920s. So not only was this case a like a forensic science push. It was also like, I literally Googled death by hypnosis. And this kind of came up. <laughs> Not exactly the same as what I was looking for, but it's kind of the same. Murder because of hypnosis. Yeah, murder because of hypnosis. Which we did do a story one time of a guy who claimed to have killed his wife while sleepwalking. Which... I don't believe that, but it worked. He like got out free. So I, I don't know. Maybe if you guys murder somebody, just use the hypnosis. Feel and it'll work. Anyway, that's the end of my story. Do you guys think that the story will keep you up at night? Or do you think you'll still be able to sleep as snug as a bug in a rug? Jen, you're first. Very little comments during the story. So I want to hear your professional opinion. Based on the hypnosis, I think, she has a good lawyer. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was super popular. Like, if you, because I was gonna put more about hypnosis in here, but if you, if you're interested, just Google hypnosis in the 19th century. That's what I did. But if you look it up, like it, like the 19th century was a huge boom for hypnosis. They called it me- mem- mesmerism, mesmerism. But it it was like a huge thing. Like people were writing books about it people you know like doctors were claiming to have used it and then it seemingly worked so at least during that period of time like people believed it so i don't know how they i don't know how they did trials like if there was a jury or whatever but like how did hypnosis go after this i didn't look it up Uh, i can look it up really fast you can use hypnosis to do surgery I know there are some psychiatry things that still use hypnotism, but I don't know about, like... The only thing that I read after this was that the British Medical Journal basically agreed that it could be real, but was like, but it doesn't work for everything that people are talking about. Like, it was for more of, like, what you were saying. Like, more of, like, the mental health part of it, not so much... You can use it for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, but that I think came out like a a couple years, if not a little bit later into the nineties, after this trial had taken place. So I think it was too late for them to go back. Double jeopardy, right? You can't be tried for the same thing. So, so I I think it kind of went back to being more taboo. But I also think, like what I said earlier, like I feel like hysteria back then they were. I mean, it's like one of those things where they're yeah. like, yeah, let's just cut these people's brains open. Yeah. It's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. No. Yeah. So I think it may have been one of those kind of things. And then they're like, no, this is real. And then it kind of went back to that. Kind of but I don't know. She still went to jail, though, right? Hard labor. So, tech. I mean, technically, I guess. I don't know what they consider that. Probation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of. She got out early. And she murdered a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Helped murder a guy. I'm sorry. They really didn't give him, they really did not even, he, they went to trial in December and he was killed in February, so they did not even care about him. They were just like, well, he's a bad guy. So. I mean, the French don't mess around when it comes to guillotine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They just did not care. So, I, I don't know. Hope it doesn't work. What do you think? Do you think you'll be able to sleep a slug's bug and rug? I mean, I'm going to have to tonight because I have work tomorrow. Yeah. I might end up spending an extra half hour Googling hypnotism. Right, right. (laughs) Trying to see if it works hypnotizing myself. I got actually interested in, now that you said that Darius was hypnotized, now I kind of want to be hypnotized just to see what it is like. I don't trust that. Hypnotism was in Dracula. Mm, Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's like in, I guess if you, like, get out is, like, the bad side of it. That's technically hypnotism, right? It's kind of murder. With the teacup? Oh, no, they were definitely murdering people. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> For they, sure. They were ego-deafing people. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the end of my story. So, I, I think I'll be okay. There's a hypnosis out by the green place. Out by the one? Uh, the green place? Green. The, the green place. Oh, I can take it out. the zoo gets green? Yeah. Out close to where I live. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just a place that's like, come and get hypnotized? It's just... Five dollars? It's a lady that she said it's just hypnotist on her. Well, Katie told me, she keeps telling me that she wants to go get her palm read from somebody in Bridgeport. 
but there's like a lady that apparently does like fortune telling and palm reading and Katie's like I want to go and I'm like eh, sure maybe she does hypnotism too I don't know what she's a contract killer <laughs> well she'd be in she wouldn't be making the con- well it's like I will hypnotize you to fix whatever you want fixed but also I'm gonna hypnotize you to kill this person yeah 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 it's it's like that's the payment instead of giving her money yeah. you murder someone for her and then she fixes it's, your it's a free hypnosis yeah <laughs> she fixes your anxiety I like it I think it works it's a good business I think all right, well, I think that's the end of it. Any questions or concerns besides the murder part? Because that was pretty bad. Was it a sex one? <laughs> was it what? From, it was from the ceiling. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Because all of the articles kind of said the same thing. Like, there was, she put a cord around his neck, and then supposedly the other guy grabbed it. The pictures, it looks like it was hooked to the ceiling. Let me see. Well, Let knowing me. the French, it probably was. I... You have to be very careful how you pronounce things or you will accidentally say something sexual. <laughs> yeah. Every word. So this is the picture that is this one. See how it goes up to like the current thing? And he's like, well, interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And then that, that's them being like, oh, my God. I like that just falls on. Yeah, he was naked when they found him. I don't know why. I guess to make sure he wasn't identified, but. So, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what happened with that. To me, because I think it's kind of funnier that it was. No, for him, obviously, <laughs> but, like, that it was kind of a situation. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it made me feel a little bit better. And it made the lap dance part make sense. Like, she's a little bit sexy. He's yeah. into it. She's like, oh, let's, you know. Well, that part of her being a dancer afterwards, like, that could very easily be innuendo as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. I didn't look up much about that, so I am just really assuming that. Um, But, yeah, I thought it was kind of funny, because it did say dancer. But I think it was more in, like, a theater-esque type situation. But I don't know. Could be, like, a burlesque thing. That would have been similar. Anyway. All right, well... If you want to see any of the pictures, because I'll post the pictures, you can go to my Instagram or Twitter. They're both at BIR Podcast. Facebook is just Bug in a Rug. And then all of my sources will be on the website, bugandarug.poppy.com, if I can remember everything. It's like when Winnie's not here, even though she doesn't say anything, I forget everything that I'm supposed to say. And then you can email us, BIRpodcast at gmail.com. Nobody does, but that's okay. It's fine with me. <laughs> Nobody does, except people who want to know if I want to pay them to do stuff, and they'll always address it to Whitney. And I'm like, that's this is my email. But I'll send, anyway. I'll send you an email and ask, like, can I have a sneak peek of this <laughs> Yes! And I'll be like, yes, thank you, somebody actually contacted <laughs> me, oh my god. <laughs> Alright, I think that's it. So, signing off, I'm Caitlin. Jack. Allie. Oh, bye! Bye!